My name's Mim Heritage. I'm Chris and Judith's daughter, if anyone knows them. Um, and I just wanted to start by saying it was... An, uh, I know that this word gets branded around a lot, but it was an, honestly an, an immense privilege to join these guys on camp. Um, this is my home church. This is the church that when people... Sort of, I live up in Newcastle now. When people ask me um, about my home church, I am so pleased and proud um, to tell them about St. Baptist. Um, this was my 13th camp, which I'm 27, so I've been on a camp basically every other year of my life, which is kind of mad. Um, and camp, I, I found this photo. Um, it's the Isle of Girls Brigade, full stop, Miriam. <laughs> um, I found it in my parents' house, and I, I think, um, I showed these guys this on the first night of camp, I think the story of this is that school asked us to bring in something that represented our hobbies. So obviously there I am in my um, full, including the armband, which I don't think they have anymore, GB outfit. I think I'm wearing a helmet, not because the activities were very strenuous, but I think I also at the time liked cycling, so I wanted to show that I was combining the two. But because it just says, I love Girls Brigade, Miriam, it sort of <laughs> it comes across like Girls Brigade is very sort of dangerous, which <laughs> it wasn't because Rachel was in charge. So um, Anyway, so like I said, camp had, had a huge, huge impact on me as I, as I grew up. Camp and being part of the youth group here at St. Baptist. Um, so like I said, it was a huge privilege for Sam to sort of ask me to come and to share. Um, and he's just asked me to share a little bit of some of what we've looked through this week. Um, so we were looking at this, the radical life. So Sam and I had a couple of conversations um, throughout the last couple of months, and we both just sort of landed on this. Um, he, he went away and I went away, and we both prayed about the sort of things that we felt would be relevant for these guys to hear. And we sort of both came back with this idea. Sam talked about like, the radical transformation. Um, and and um, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm currently a social worker up in um, Newcastle. Um, in a, well, a social worker up in a town called Middlesbrough, but I live in Newcastle. Um, and I work, obviously, with quite a lot of young people as part of this job, but I'm also part of um, a team of volunteers who run a youth group in Newcastle. Um, and for me, sort of spending quite a lot of time with this generation, one of the things I felt really strongly um, to just speak on is this idea of what it's like if we're going to be followers of Jesus, what does it mean to actually put that into practice? Um, and... And from my observations, I think it's really, really difficult currently to live um, as a young person and live as a Christian, someone who says, yes, like, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that means that my life is probably going to look quite different to the culture around me, quite different to maybe how my friends live, to maybe how my family live, or to maybe how just society says I need to be. Um, and so actually, I wanted to look at what does it mean to live a radical life? So that radical being the idea of totally transformative, um, what does it mean to live a life that's set apart um, as sort of followers of Jesus throughout the history of the people of God? Um, God has set them apart, you know, from the Old Testament as the people of God to the New Testament. Um, he's set them apart to live a life that points ultimately to Jesus because it's different, it's different from what the world around them tells them to be. So 
sort of a, as a recap of that, um, on Sunday we looked at, um, and we, we did this through following the, call, um, the Gospel of Matthew, so looking at the life of Jesus um, and how does that demonstrate to us and to these guys how to live um, this radical life. So on Sunday we looked at the radical call, we looked at the first disciples who were called in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and what it meant for us um, to lay down our lives, to lay down our nets, the things that maybe are holding us back, um, the sort of sin in our lives, the things that we want to just put aside, and what does it mean to pick up that call that Jesus calls his first disciples and calls us to follow him and to follow Jesus wholeheartedly instead. And then on Monday, we spoke about the radical kingdom. So what does it mean um, if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to pick up that call to follow Jesus? What should our lives look like and what should we be pursuing? And we looked at this idea through the Beatitudes of what does the radical kingdom look like? What does a kingdom um, where we have a bunch of young people who look at the world and say, that's not fair, like, that's not how Jesus calls us to live. And actually, what does it mean for us to live lives that bring more of God's kingdom um, that kingdom of justice on earth. And then in choose, on Tuesday, we looked at what does it mean um, from the passage that Jesus calms the storm, and what does that mean for, for our own lives? Um, and how does Jesus calm the storm in our own life? And what does radical peace mean in that situation? And then on Wednesday, we looked at a really, really popular story, you know, one from Sunday school, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and just simply asked that question of what does it mean to live a life where we say, Jesus, have the little that I have, um, and use it, use it for your glory, um, and looked at what gifts and what talents and the people that we, we spend our, our days with, um, what does it mean to say, Jesus, use what I have um, to bring more of your kingdom that we looked at on the previous night. And then on the final night, we sort of landed on this idea of um, radical love, which is a little bit of what I want to share a little bit further um, tonight. Um, we looked at a really simple reflection on the passage that I'm going to share again tonight, um, but looked at this profound truth found in this passage of what does it mean if we live a radical life that is totally underpinned, the foundation of all of which is radical love, and what does that mean for our lives? Um, and I'm just gonna share sort of a shortened version of, of what I shared on that, on that final night, um, looking at this passage. So, the greatest commandment. So it says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the, fa the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with questions. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So I asked these guys these questions. And I want you to sort of turn to the person next to you. I know some of you are inside are dying at the fact that I've just said this. Um, but turn to the person next to you and answer this question. What is the first thing that you think of when you hear that word love? Um, go. If it's silent, it's silent. But Brilliant. Does anyone 
<laughs> oh dear. You're worse than the kids were when you're trying to get them back together. Um, does anyone want to shout out? I know you're not told to shout out, but I'm going to allow it. Does anyone want to shout out what some of the first things you think of when you hear of the word? Oh, hands up. Go on then, Janet. Iceberg lettuce and what? Multi together? Okay. <laughs> Lottie. So I like to believe that Lottie said Jesus because she spent a week at camp, but that's probably, I probably need a bit more radical humility. Frida. Oh, sorry, not Frida. Family. Family is a brilliant one. Family is an amazing one. So there's a lot, basically, from that, what we've gathered is there's a lot of things that we think of when we hear that word love, don't we? For me, I think of this little man, Theo. This little man is my godson. Um, he's the one on the right if you're not <laughs> sure <gasps> yeah um this is theo and his dog lando so um theo is kind of who i think about when i think about love my sister was also on camp and when i shared this she was incredibly angry <laughs> that i'd not said her but sh her as well um i'll correct it the second time around um and basically what we looked at is in the, in the English language, we're quite limited in how we can express love. So there's only really one word for love, love. Um, so I could say, I love cake. And in the same word I would use for, I love Theo, or I love my sister. But love we have for those different things is not all the same love. Um, but actually, in, in the Greek language, the original language that the, old, the, sorry, the New Testament was written in, where we find this Gospel of Matthew, there's actually four words for love, um, and these are them. So there's philia, which is love found in sort of strong friendships, so that sort of brotherly love between friends. There's eros, which is sort of romantic love. Um, there's storage, which is family love, so what you said over there, so that love for family, the affection and empathy. And then there's also this final love, which is agape love. This is the selfless, unconditional, sacrificial love, this Christ-like love. And, and agape, we, we see, encompasses sort of a two-way relationship. So firstly, it's the Father's love for us. And then secondary, secondly, um, it's our reciprocal love to God, so it's his love for us and our love for God. And agape is the word that we see Jesus use here in this passage when it says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that word that Jesus is using, that agape love, that selfless love, that Christ-like love. That's what he's saying is the love that we're to have for God and the love that we're to have for our neighbors. So all that I shared in this idea of sharing with these young people about this radical life is totally underpinned, total foundation of which is this idea of agape love. And I think one of the things I shared with these guys is that I know that I found in my own life, and these guys have sort of said they found it difficult as well in their own, is that we sometimes find that idea that God loves us, that first thing that agape love represents, we find that truth of God that's really hard to understand and to believe. Like Sarah was sharing, there's that disconnect, isn't there, between what we know in our heads, so what we hear in church, what we read in our Bible, and actually, when push comes to shove, what we believe in our gut, 
you know, what we believe deep, deep down. And I sort of explored with these guys, sort of, why is it? Why do, why do I, what do I see and what do I believe as to some of the reasons as to why we find it so difficult to believe that God loves us sometimes? And the first thing of that is, I think it's because we're conditioned by the world that we're part of. So I thought about it like this. So I'm right-handed, so I'm conditioned to write with my right hand. It's what I know, it's what I understand, it's what I do. If I was to write with my left hand, then I reckon if I was concentrating hard enough, I mean, my name is only three letters, I reckon I'd be able to get by. Um, but if anyone was to come along and distract me, I probably wouldn't be able to carry on writing it. I'd get distracted and I'd go off course. And I think this is much like what happens when we experience the love of God. You know, we've been conditioned as people that live in this world to know love as a certain thing. Um, even those of us that have had amazing upbringings, the love that we've experienced is, is but a faint shadow in comparison to the love of God, that agape love. Um, and the reality is that most of us, the love that we've experienced has been conditional. It's hurt, it's broken, it's full of complications sometimes. So what happens is when we come to know the love of God, when we hear about the love of God, and when we come to know him for ourselves, we sometimes struggle. When things are going well, we can focus on that, we understand that, we can just about get by. But when stress and struggles come, we so often switch back to the autopilot, the love of this world that we know, this love that's broken, the love that's conditional. And therefore, we struggle to understand God's love, a love that isn't conditional, a love that's selfless. And secondly, I think we struggle to understand this love of God because there's an enemy. The greatest tool of the enemy is lies. Jesus himself calls the enemy the father of lies. Um, you know, Satan's first words, his first thing that he says in Genesis, his opening lines to the whole of scripture is, did God really say? Did he really say? And we see this again what the enemy does with Jesus in this gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, um, sorry, in, in one of the other gospels where Jesus is, is tempted. See, Jesus is baptized. God proclaims over Jesus, this is my son whom I love. And then straight away, Jesus is led into the wilderness and Satan introduces two words, two tiny letters, one word, sorry, two tiny letters. If, Satan says, if, you are the son of God. Jesus is baptized and he's declared over him, this is my son whom I love. And straight away, the enemy says, if you are the son of God. Satan questions it. And these, and I, I believe this is what he does to us. We, we know this love. We come to understand God's love. And he gently whispers, if you're loved by God, if God really loves me, then why is this happening? Why do I feel hurt? Why do I experience pain? If God really loves me, then why? I was um, watching uh, this Lewis Capaldi uh, documentary. Some of you guys might not know who this is, but this is a really famous singer. Um, bear in mind, I was doing talks to the youth, so I was trying to get down on their level. Anyways, this is Lewis Capaldi, and Lewis Capaldi is, is an amazing singer, and he, he, he did this unbelievable documentary of his struggles with, with mental health. And he says in this documentary, 
He says, I don't feel like I can write songs. He said, I never have, and it's only got worse the more famous I've got. And what's amazing in this documentary is he says that right after he's found out that his uh, single has just gone to number one in the UK and in America. So he's had this amazing moment where essentially he's had the evidence that he can write songs, and yet he says, I don't feel like I've ever been able to write songs. I never have, I probably never will, and it's only got worse the more famous I've got. And I sat there and I was thinking to myself, how can he feel like that? He has the evidence in front of him that he can write songs. He knows that's true. He knows it in his head that's true. And yet he still said what he said. And yet I find so often with my relationship with Jesus, is that that's the same disconnect for me. I've got the evidence that God loves me. I've learned about it since I was that age, in Sunday school and in GB and on camps. And yet so often, in times of difficulty or in times of stress, I find myself saying, if this is true, then what? And yet, Paul, Paul writes, in Romans, Paul, who himself experienced many stresses and many difficulties, he writes these words. He says, for I'm convinced, I know, not a head knowledge, but a heart knowledge, I know that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find myself, even after hearing this, even after knowing what Paul went through to write these words, I am convinced, I know. Yeah, but, yeah, but what happens if I mess up? You, you say in this, nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But what ums if, what ums if I get it wrong? What if, we see that if word creeping back in. What ums if I get it so wrong that we get to a point then surely, surely I can be separated from the love of God. But the truth and the truth that I shared with the young people and the truth that I pray so wholeheartedly that they remember as we go on from camp, is that as we hold on to Jesus, our confidence, sorry, the truth of God's love is that our hope does not rest in the fact that we will never get it wrong, because we will, we will. It rests in the fact that God will never, ever let us go. Hazel, who's Theo's mom, sent me a little video recently of Theo um, jumping in the waves on, on a holiday in, on a beach with his dad in the sea. And Theo and Sam were holding hands. They were jumping in the waves, holding hands. And I was reminded of that truth that I've just shared. I was reminded that the strength and the security of that situation, the fact that Theo is not going to fall, doesn't come from Theo's ability to hold on to Sam. It comes from Sam's ability to never let his son go, 
Sam is never, ever going to let Theo go. And in the same way, as we hold on to Jesus, our confidence doesn't come from the ability, from our ability to hold on. Though it's important, and I, and I stress this to the young people, it's important that we do, but it doesn't come from that. Our, our strength and security doesn't come from our ability to hold on. It comes from our Father, God's ability to never let us go. The cross, where Jesus died um, for our sin, covers everything. When Jesus gave his life for us, when he declared, it is finished, what he was saying is it's done. Nothing can, can come between us. Nothing can separate us. And, and that isn't to say that sin isn't important. You know, God is holy and he, he asks his people, when we're living this radical life, to live a holy life, to live a life that points to Jesus. But God's love, won for us on the cross, overcomes it. It's finished. Nothing can separate. I will never let you go, Jesus says. And the truth of that is the foundation of all we do. And it's the foundation of, of these verses, the greatest commandments, this agape love, this sacrificial love. This is love that gives without expectation of return. This is love that means we lay down our lives. This is love um, that means we put down our nets, we put down the things that are just getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus. And we follow, we wholeheartedly follow Jesus. And he says, nothing can separate. I'm never going to let you go. And it's this kind of love that Jesus asks us, firstly, to show God. Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, he says. And secondly, to our neighbor. The overflow of that relationship overflows for our relationship with one another, with our neighbors. As followers of Jesus, we love because he first loved us. And the overflow of relationship with others comes from the knowledge of that. But it begins with really knowing the love of Jesus, knowing how loved we are, and really soaking in that truth, and asking the Holy Spirit to transfer that truth, that knowledge of God's love, from head to heart knowledge. And, and this was something we asked the young people if, if they wanted to do. Did they want to follow Jesus? Did they want to live this radical life? Did they want to live a life that looked maybe different to a lot of their friends? Did they want to say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. Have my life. Have the things that I can offer that you've given me, those gifts and talents. I give them back to you. Lord, I'm yours. I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on with everything that I have in the knowledge that you are going to hold on and never let us go. And a number of these guys, as you've already heard, uh, made that commitment to do that. And there is, there is no greater joy than, than watching young people make the decision that you know, I made so many years ago and um, yeah, that, that, that did change my life and, and means that I, I try and pursue that, that idea of that radical life in, in all that I do. And this is the same call that Jesus makes to each and every one of us. Um, it's a simple truth. It's a profound truth. It changes everything when we know the love of God. 
and we know that he asks us what he asks us in this, the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourselves.